on America Can We Talk. I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. Coming up next, America Can We Talk with your host, Debbie Georgianos. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and thank you so much for tuning in on one of our special Thursday shows, my favorite day of the week, because we get to have a really in-depth discussion with a great expert, plus a studio audience, and just time for all of us to think about a very, very serious issue facing America. Not just to analyze the issue, but to talk about how do we solve it? How do we Americans solve it? My music, that is the lead into my show every day, uh, is by Krista Branch, and that song, it says, We Are America. It's the main theme, and it is the main point of this show. America consists of the people, our present, how we live, and what we do moving forward, and what's in control. It relies on the American people to speak up and stand up and to demand that our constitutional rights, the very founding values of America, are supported uh, and maintained. So today we're going to talk about something that, honestly, I have to tell you, I was so glad to find a guest in this topic. And the topic is all this discussion about impending food shortages. and. You know, you, you hear this more and more, and you hear people saying, well, gosh, you're going to be terrible food shortages. And so they recommend home farms, um, or they recommend large gardens. They recommend buying, um, you know, uh, food just to survive that's freeze-dried, and you can uh, use it over a long period of time. But I never understood. I did try to read things about it, but I didn't understand where it was coming from and, and you know, what was causing it, and how do we get out of it. So about three weeks ago, I um, spoke at an event uh, in Texas, in Temple, Texas, and another person spoke at that program, and uh, this was his topic, and he was so full of data, so full of information, and I, and I just was thrilled. I hung around to make sure I could contact, connect with him to see if I get him to come on the show and have all of us understand this better. Because I think everyone, uh, you want to assume, I mean, everyone knows we love farmers, we think farmers are doing great, how could we in America have a food shortage? And it's really important to understand uh, a bit of the history and then, of course, uh, where we are today, what we do going forward. So I'd like to welcome to the show um, Ammon Blair, and I'll quite quickly tell you about him, uh, which is, um, he did, here in the great state of Texas, we have something called Texas Scorecard, and it's just a conservative organization, and they have uh, an annual event where they give awards to conservative leaders, and they're mostly, they're not the big name people who get their names and headlines and, uh, and news stories all the time. These are, these are the actual workers on the ground who do good things. Uh, to fight for freedom, for Texas, for our God-given rights. So he is among the past winners of the Conservative Leader Award by Texas Scorecard. He's also an Army veteran. He's also co was or is co-director of the True Texas Project, uh, which the portion of that group that deals with the so 
southern border issue. Um, and he is actually a former border agent. Uh, he founded American Boys Right to Passage. He's just been an activist in many, many ways in life. Um, but as, and as a Border Patrol agent, became very familiar with the truth about what's happening at the border. And so, uh, but at this time, he is moving into position with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And I've had experts from that organization on the show numerous times. We had Jason Isaac fairly recently talking about what the, the truth about energy and CO2. And so he's about to take a position there, but it's really bringing all of us up to speed to understand what in the world is all this talk about a food shortage? I'd like to welcome to the show, Ammon Blair. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, it's so good to see you. And um, I, I'm grateful for our, we had a last minute scramble getting uh, <laughs> uh, my, my doing. Uh, okay, maybe I'll just t quick tell this story. Here's a true story. Just so you, you know, I usually, I'm so organized, it's almost painful. And so I, I organize the show, I organize the, the, the clips, and then I send them to Millie way ahead of time. My producer, he's got clips in order. We have clip one, two, three, four, blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway. I got here and Emilio said, you never sent me clips. And the, this is a show, I need the clips. So I called my next door neighbor. I said, are you home? And so she, yes, <laughs> literally. She went to our house, undid the alarm system, went inside, found my computer, found the document, sent it to Emilio about seconds ago. And so here we are. <laughs> this is the how the sausage is made part. But I do, I, you know, I do, first of all, I commend all the things you've done. I, you really have already had in your young life quite an amazing life. I mean, you've done border work, uh, te True Texas Project, which is rock stars, um, Texas Scorecard, and now you're starting with Texas Public Policy Foundation. And I don't even know the name of your position. What, what are they calling what you're doing at Texas Public Policy? Yeah, so I'm a senior fellow for their initiative, which is the Secure and Sovereign Frontier, which is uh, security for uh, not just Texas, but also in Mexico. Okay, can you say that again? Say yeah, senior fellow for yeah. the Secure and Sovereign Frontier. Secure and sovereign frontier. I like those words. Okay, so this does entail your expertise related to food. This is that correct? Um, this is actually separate from that. Uh, oh my so gosh! I do. <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this was actually a project uh, that I started a long time ago for uh, Lara Logan. If you guys know, uh, oh, we the journalist do. Lara Logan. We've had her on the show, and she spoke at my summit. Yeah. Okay, so uh, she's. She's like my sister. She's one of my, my best friends. And, uh, and so I helped her orchestrate. She was going to do something on the war on beef and on the war on farmers. And this was years ago. And I was uh, her main intelligence analyst for that. And, uh, and so I really started from, from that point on uh, just investigating. And you, an investigator you are. I meant to say in introducing you also, this talk at this event we were at um, a few weeks ago in Temple, Texas, you, you had many slides up. You had an amazing historical presentation. I could see all these people who are all really well-informed people scribbling, madly scribbling <laughs> notes because you knew so much and you were relaying so much to people because people want to understand yeah. how could we in America have a food shortage, but um, which we're going to get to right now. So I think I want to start with, um, there's a... Um, an expression being used, a war on farmers. Mm -hmm. We'll go back and talk about the older history, but this is a very short clip Emilio got seconds ago. Um, <laughs> but you, you know the one that says war on farmers, Emilio? I don't know if you're seeing that one. I think it's the last one on the list. Yeah, okay. Let's quick play that clip. If you can put it up here, that'd be great. Okay, thank you. A food war is brewing and American farmers and ranchers are on the front lines. 
family-owned farms are the backbone of America. 98% of U.S. farms are operated by families. 86% of all U.S. agricultural products are produced on family farms and ranches. In 2018, 140 billion worth of American agricultural products were exported to the world, making the U.S. by far the world's top food exporter. Their blood, sweat, and tears bring food to tables across America and the world. Most of us don't give much thought to where our food is coming from. Farmers and ranchers of this great nation, working tirelessly from dusk till dawn. It's a thankless job, but if you asked any farmers, they'd probably tell you it's not a job. It's a way of life, a family tradition passed down through generations, and they wouldn't have it. Okay, I, I don't know if I gave him the wrong cutoff, but anyway, the, this the video is getting into the idea that there was a bill coming out of the Biden administration that was going to essentially change the way farmers are taxed to end up with where these farmers were, there are testimonies throughout the end of that video saying, we would have to close our doors. We, we couldn't even function if, we, if this comes to be. And so you'd think, well, that's a simple problem to solve. They have to change this tax plan. They have to convince the Biden administration, change something different. Well, you brought up in the big speech I heard you give, what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, takes us back to the idea, American farming and American supply of food is not just controlled by decisions by a local farmer selling to local markets, who sell to grocery stores, who sell to people. It's a much larger and corporately controlled process that gets food from farms to people, correct? Correct. Okay, in fact, and what one thing you, um, in fact, I'm gonna pull up, yeah. Just uh, the third, you know that, uh, Emilio, you know that um, three-part slide? Just number three. One thing you talk, talked about, and I wanted to show our listeners, and I'm going to go back to how we got started, but this is a chart that basically is making the point that all, you know, we hear of all these food companies, and we think, oh, look at all these great food companies, all these people bringing things. Well, in the middle, what you see are 10 companies, and they are there to make the point. Go ahead, that they... Yeah. The, so all, all of our food has now been consolidated, so it's run by monopolies. So just 10 companies control everything you eat. 10 companies control everything you eat. And on top of that, the, there are some controlling interests in some of these companies that are, I think, a very un-American. BlackRock. Yeah, so the shareholders, the largest shareholders are going to be BlackRock, Vanguard, and uh, State Street. Okay, and so what's wrong with them? Uh, so if everyone knows, I mean, they're, they're linked in with the World Economic Forum and the UN. Uh, they really control most of the assets in the world. Okay, so 10 companies controlling all food in America, mm -hmm. and they're BlackRock affiliated, and then, therefore meaning they're affiliated with World Economic Forum, all their globalist agenda. And so these companies are, you know, we think of them, you think they do such a good job in their commercials, you think Nestle, oh, I love Nestle chocolate or something, but they're actually a large uh, and powerful political force uh, in this world. Uh, yes, ma'am. 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I want to get around to, you know, how do we get to from, you know, how do we get to where we are today, where we had for generations, you know, my parents grew up in the Midwest. We spent summers in Minnesota, Iowa. We saw farms, we had relatives who were farmers. It's just lovely, you know, they grow food, they sell it, they sell it at farm stands. And to where it's just corporately controlled, all food uh, distribution, food packaging, manufacturing, all of it. So, and you were telling me earlier some uh, kind of ancient history, but longer history. Tell us how we got from family farms to this. Sure. Um, really, um, it really, the kickoff point was actually World War II. And um, at that time period, well, uh, well, we'll go back a little further. So we'll go back at around World War I era. Uh, World War I era, uh, era, after that, they created the League of Nations so that there would, be, there would not be another world war. Um, and a big um, uh, company that a nonprofit organization or an NGO uh, that was a part of that was actually the Rockefeller Foundation. Uh, everyone probably knows the Rockefeller Foundation today and their link with the World Economic Forum. So, um, of course, that failed and we had World War II. So after World War II, uh, once again, the, the United States decided that they want to create another organization uh, to try to maintain peace. Um, and we hear today by Klaus Schwab about stakeholder capitalism, right? Where it's private-public partnerships, correct? Yeah. Well, those private-public partnerships created, were created a long time ago. So that he didn't originally create them. So uh, back then, the Rockefeller Foundation also had key input, um, and as well as the Ford Foundation, in establishing the UN and establishing everything that the UN created, which is the Farm and Agricultural Organization. Farm and Agricultural Organization. Mm -hmm. And that's part of, that's a portion that's of part of the UN. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this began the process of having more international control over farming. But so why does that impact us? I mean, why, that, they can make an international deal, but what do we care? Yeah, sure. So really they, they decided to start marketing here in the United States that the farmers needed to feed the world. We've heard that forever, right? that the farmers needed to feed the world. So uh, they started to utilize what we used to create bombs. And instead of bombs, we used it to create fertilizer. And so we started using fertilizer, artificial fertilizer into the soil uh, so that we could rapidly, rapidly create uh, um, uh, an abundance of crops to ship throughout the world. And then that shifted, of course, uh, we went into somewhat more of an industrial agriculture um, and then that shifted further on into like the 1960s when the Green Revolution started, where we started taking, hey, the, that project it seemed to work, so why don't we use it on the, other, the rest of the world? And they took that to India, to um, Sri Lanka. And why I say Sri Lanka and why I mentioned it in, the, in that talk is Tucker Carlson also spoke of Sri Lanka uh, just recently, and that mm -hmm. is because uh, Sri Lanka as a country pretty much fell. Uh, we, oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm nodding and listening. Oh. <laughs> so, well, Sri Lanka fell because of the, the green revolution rules that made farming impossible and government control over farming, correct? Kind of, kind of. So when you put something artificial in your body, say, say if I gave you meth or if I gave you uh, fentanyl and you got addicted to fentanyl, one, meth and fentanyl are going to destroy your body. And then you're going to be dependent on, on, on that just to live. Well, when you take something artificial like uh, nitrogen-based or petroleum-based or natural gas-based 
uh, pest, I mean, uh, fertilizers, and you put it into God's soil, it's going to do the same thing. We have microbiome, and so does the soil. Uh, so when you put that in there, it completely destroys all organic matter in the soil and then makes it so that it's completely dependent on fertilizers in order to grow anything. Same with the irrigation systems, uh, the pesticides to ward off. So all that was part of the Green Revolution that Rockefeller Foundation was forwarding in the 60s, 70s. And so for um, now go to today or present day in Sri Lanka when it fell, so they're so used to that type of system that they decided to, of course, work with the World Economic Forum and ESG standards. And instead of easing it back into um, ways where they could get rid of the, the actual fertilizer, they completely cut it off zero. Just like if I went to a drug dealer who's been a drug dealer or I mean a, a user for years and I just completely cut them off, what's going to happen? And that's what happened to their nation. Their nation fell. They ransacked their capital and uh, starvation, loss of fuel, everything. Let's go back to what you're describing about uh, the UN and this, um, I didn't even write it down, but the fair the farming. Yeah, the FAO. Yeah. The original intent was good. I mean, they were trying mm -hmm. to have more productive farms. Yes. And more productive farms, more food, so we can spread mm -hmm. it around the world. And, you know, hungry people are less likely to be angry people. I mean, you're, you're making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. so the original intent was to make soil more productive. Not, not And unknowingly, that was creating a problem, correct? correct. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you get that going. But you're, what you're describing, and I actually, I was taking notes of other things. You said I didn't follow this in your talk when I saw you recently. But you're saying what they were using to put in the soil actually became, it was harmful to the soil, was natural ingredients in the soil, and it also made the soil kind of addictive to, addicted to, the yeah. soil addicted to this stuff they're putting in. Correct. And so when the Green Revolution comes along, says we're going to stop putting all these artificial things in. Is that, is that right? So the Green Revolution is the one who pushed it out to the rest of the world. So like uh, India okay. and everywhere else. So the Rockefeller Foundation, uh, they were also involved in that. And then what's funny, so here's the, here's the interesting part. You always need to be careful when the same organization sells you bullets and at the same time sells you bandages. Yeah. Okay. So the Rockefeller Foundation came, created the problem, right? Maybe unknowingly, maybe knowingly. Then they came up with a solution along with the UN World Economic Forum, ESG standards, everything. And that was their solution. And the ESG standard is the E part, is that environmental. Correct. So the solution was to, to, not, to stop putting the stuff in the soil Correct. and the soil couldn't produce. Okay, that's way more than I understood um, previously. But on the political side of things, um, part of what, you know, we were talking before the show started, but just the role you just described now of the Rockefeller Foundation and all that happened in that chain of history, you begin to recognize that farming practices in America uh, began to be controlled at least nationally and eventually internationally. Yep. Instead of by, you know, and, and, I, and I assume farmers over the centuries and the millennia, farmers farm, they use the natural soil. They may have had years of drought or, yep. or uh, and famine or floods and whatever. They, they had the natural cycles of nature, um, but they functioned essentially using, uh, you know, seeds that were created naturally by, and so they functioned naturally with the soil. But this introduction by, by of these uh, artificial fertilizers coming uh, after the war changed 
the way all farmers functioned. Correct. And, 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 didn't, and they probably didn't know it either. They probably didn't know what was doing to the soil. I mean, look, they just saw, they just saw holy cow, we can get more bushes of corn. This is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then, you know, I'm jumping around a little bit, but I want to be sure and talk about, there was a film that you sent me, um, Food Chain Reaction. It was a global food security game. And the reason I want to talk about it is, you know, when people started talking about uh, after, or when COVID came along and people became aware for the first time, actually they had a game or a scenario where they played out, this was Bill Gates and whoever else was involved in this, they played out, what if the world got a terrible, terrible virus and the virus came along and did this and this and this, and they, they gamed it out. And it was all, it became alarming to people when they realized that it was gamed out before COVID allegedly emerged out of uh, Wuhan lab in China. Mm -hmm. So people began to wonder whether or not the gaming was happening because they knew it was coming. They knew the COVID virus was coming because they were planning it to come because they were part of it. It very suspicious that gaming occurred um, after uh, before COVID came along. Well, the same thing has happened. There's a food chain reaction gaming video, and I watched it today, and I have a little clip of it. But the gist is, all these countries got together out of the you know alleged concern. It was in 2015, 65 international public and private sectors sector leaders participated in what they called food chain reaction, a simulation role-playing exercise to improve understanding of governments, institutions, private sector interests, how they interact if there were to be a crisis in the global food system. So uh, I'm gonna play that little clip and I wanna talk about it just to hear your reaction to all of that, but do we have that clip? We do have that clip. No, we don't have that clip. Okay, didn't download. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, this is our, our struggle today. <laughs> just, just, you know what, we're just gonna rock and roll. So just de describe if you would this whole food chain reaction video and, and your take on why they did this uh, global food security game. Sure, just like when any organization or when any country wants to go to war, we have to do a war game first. We set out what we're capable of doing and we set out what the enemy is capable of doing. And then we set out how can we defeat the enemy and based off of these certain like courses of action that they're going to do. So it, we've been doing wargaming forever, right? Uh, well, they're doing the same thing. They're figuring out a way uh, how we can control the world population based off of food because it's already been done before. So that lead up with the Green Revolution I talked about, uh, there was a paper written by Henry Kissinger back in 1974 that was declassified. And he said, if you want to control the people, you can control the food. And many people may not want to know this, but we were doing that. Uh, part of the Green Revolution um, uh, was we started, Americans, of course, the farmers were kind of fed a lie saying that we were trying to feed the world. What ended up happening is it was just subsidies. We were pushing all this product to the world, which was subsidized and free to all these poor countries. And the farmers in those countries, they can't compete with free. So what ended up happening is they started going bankrupt, the farmers there, and then they, they started relying on our food production itself. Wait, why couldn't they, why couldn't, if we export this stuff, why couldn't they use it the same way we were and have, and have it be productive? Say that, say that again, I'm sorry. Why couldn't the farmers in other countries use the same thing we were exporting, this fertilizer, and, and have it be productive there? Uh, because they, they could, but they can't compete with free. So the U.S. realized that we were the agricultural hub of the world. And we, had the, we of course, have the greatest farmers in the world. And so what we were doing is we were 
uh, our rate of production was so much so that we were able to subsidize it throughout the world. And we were able to export so much, like they talked about earlier, how much exportation uh, we were putting out, exports that we were putting out. So we were exporting all these, the rice and all these commodities, and these other nations couldn't compete. Okay. And, and so, uh, so it's really difficult for a farmer there, even if he does use uh, fertilizer, to compete with free. Compete with what we're providing because it's free. Okay. Yeah, correct. And so Henry Kissinger was utilizing food as a weapon just kind of like how people use illegal aliens as weapons on a border. So using food as a, as a weapon because he was creating depend, weakness in, the, in, our, in foreign countries and therefore dependence on us. Dependence on us. Okay, the Kissinger quote I have, who controls the food supply controls the people. Who controls the energy can control whole continents. Who controls money can control the world. And so he's talking about the food supply controls the people. And it, you, know, you stop and think about it, we've been so just as a given, assumed all of my life in America. The food grocery stores are full, the farm stands are full. We never thought about starvation in America. We knew pockets of hunger existed where there wasn't enough money people needed, but we didn't ever assume that our food supply itself would be, would be, have a short experience of shortfall. But you're saying Kissinger essentially and intentionally weaponized this food production capacity of America mm -hmm. to bring other nations to, to be dependent on us. Correct, yes ma'am. With the goal to, to control to control the world. Control the world. And who did Henry Kissinger teach? Klaus Schwab. I know. I read that recently. Henry Kissinger taught Klaus Schwab. Yeah. So where do you yeah. think Klaus Schwab learned everything that he's doing currently doing with the World Economic Forum? He learned it from his mentor. It is truly, yep. Okay, there's also a little bit more of that, you know, thought, because I want to talk about where we are right now in America. The globalists already control the majority of the money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you talk about the globalist cabal taking control of the world. We say they control the money. The push towards central bank digital currency, the push toward government-controlled mo the monetary system, because they've got control of everything. You don't need cash. You don't be writing a check. You know, we're just going to, it's all here digital. So government controls your money. And this is very much a push. It is a push by the Biden administration, but pushed by globalists all over the world. Um, they're moving swiftly to convert the energy systems over uh, into systems they're all invested in. So we're trying to get, they're trying to get rid of fossil fuels, mm -hmm. uh, invest in all this alleged renewable energy, um, get rid of fossil fuels and have us all, I'm, I won't get started on that, taking drastic measures to control the food industry. And they're basically running all this under the radar. And that picture of globalists trying to do all this to free people, I truly think if most Americans knew that, they would rebel. I mean, they don't want global control. You agree? Or? I agree. I mean, we, we uh, love freedom and we love liberty. And so we probably should love the freedom of others in other countries. And if we knew that Henry Kissinger, if, if our country itself was weaponizing uh, our food systems against other nations, they would probably want to stop that. Yeah, because that is the whole th the question we're getting around to. Is our government using this control of the food system to control us or to build up a system where they can control us? Yes, ma'am. Which is where we're heading. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because the next thing, point that was made, this is a great article, which um, I believe we have in this slide. I can show you in a minute. We'll see if we have it. Anyway, um, if we can control seeds, we can get into seeds next. They control seeds. They control the food. If they control food, they can use the digital ID, which is part of central bank digital currency and many other aspects of this control agenda to control consumer access to food. 
So you think all this is happening in our own government? Oh, 100%. Yep, the USDA is full on board. Full on board with the concept of, describe what they're full on board with. Uh, so they're full on board with uh, the UN in, in the control of what you eat, how you eat, where you get your food, the access to it, uh, everything. Um, so if you look at, so the FAO and the World Health Organization, uh, they created a, an organization called Codex. And Codex, um, it's also in that article. Uh, Codex, what they are is they're just uh, uh, a bunch of committees getting together to establish the guidelines for food. Uh, worldwide, what you can and cannot eat, what sh you should or should not eat. So like this whole thing where people should be eating bugs, um, that they want us to eat bugs, that is, that is voted on and everything else in the committees within Codex and then distributed worldwide. And so it was the FAL really and also the World uh, Health Organization that created Codex. Then if you go on to USDA's uh, website, of course we all know that we have the Constitution. And um, uh, an unelected international body cannot dictate what we can and cannot do based off that con uh, the Constitution. However, if our institutions use their guidelines and then force it upon us, then it makes no difference. And that's what they're doing. So if you go on the USDA's website, you can see their complete plan uh, to, uh, to utilize all of Codex's plan to get us to start eating bugs, uh, alternate proteins, uh, and so on and so forth. And it's the plan, I think it's a USDA 2022 to 2026 plan for Codex. Yep, yep, that was in the, um, yeah, that was in the game thing. Okay, well, I do want to get around to the Constitution and I can get around to the solution to all of this because there is a movement, there's a patriot movement in America that is just on fire. Yeah. Among the points is we need to restore sovereignty and we need to agree that on every issue facing American citizens, we Americans, we have sovereignty. Our government decides, and even if it is, you know, um, if, especially as to outside organizations such as World Health Organization and anything else affiliated with the UN, you know, we have to be clear again, they don't have sovereignty over us. But you put your finger on the really problematic thing, which is this kind of thinking uh, of control over people and their food has made its way into our own government, into mm -hmm. the FDA, which you know, we have many agencies which Congress funds and must continue to fund, or they believe they have to continue funding, but they have no control over, or they don't exert the control they have. So FDA kind of operates, along with many other federal agencies and bureaucracies, as kind of a fourth branch, unregulated, unaccountable, unelectable, and they roll right along. Yes, ma'am. So the answer to that is to get people back into power in our government who would rein it in. Correct? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Um, so in order to restore popular sovereignty, it's going to take participation. So Joel Salatin, he just recently spoke at Hillsdale College on the solution. And that was to uh, take the responsibilities that we uh, gave up to our elected official and take them back. That responsibility is knowing what's actually happening and then being responsible and doing something about it personally. And, um, and the only way really to restore our popular sovereignty is to do that. Um, and is to actually, what he calls is create a parallel, uh, we talk about parallel economies, but he talks about a parallel agricultural economy. I love that, I actually printed that whole thing out, the parallel, okay, but before we get to that, one other <laughs> point I wanna to get to, I mean, two other points. Uh, one has to do with the control of seeds. Okay, sure. three other points. 
It's seeds, it's vertical farming. We're gonna get there. Um, <laughs> vertical farming, and then this the rash of fires that have destroyed yeah. ranches, farms. In fact, uh, there's a mound of data in this. And I, I do have, Mr. Emilio, do you have that one little graphic that is just a summary of some of the things that have occurred? The destruction in America of farms, uh, chicken processing plants, whatever they are. Yep. Do you, I don't know if you have that. Ag okay. terrorism. Decades of consolidation of meat processing. Okay, this is just consolidating of, of all of these. So these groups, uh, this is meat packer consolidation. Yep. Do, do we have another one that's talking about? No, we don't. Okay. Anyway. Oh. Yeah, so here's, here's a, actually a little more. So you talked about 10 companies controlling your food, but also 10 companies control your medicine, and then five con organizations control all traditional medicine. So what's um, also interesting is that the 10 companies that control your, your medicine are also involved in your food. If you look at your cereal box today, if you look at what you're currently eating, you're eating pharma food. It's no longer the food f that you would get from an actual farm. If you look at all of those Coca-Cola, any cereals, uh, Nestle, it's, it's all from a lab. And so really what's happening is they've, the people in medicine have seen that how much money they can make in creating cheap food. And so that's what's happening is that's how they're also getting rid of actual traditional farmers and farmers is we're going from actual whole food to Franken food, which is like GMO and GMO 2.0 to then actual pharma food. Okay. I'm sorry. We're going the, the third <laughs> choice. You just went, you went this to this to natural farmer food. Yeah. So you, so you have whole food, right? Regular, just if you, if you didn't put any inputs in it, meaning no pesticides, no, no um, fertilizers. Then you went to GMO. GMO, they had to modify. Genetically modified. Yep, genetically modified. They had to modify it because we were putting in fertilizers and then we were putting in pesticides that are not natural. And so in order for it to actually grow, they had to modify the seeds. So that's why it's interesting that a majority of the companies that own our seeds, one of them is Bayer, which is a pharmaceutical company. Yeah, I was going to get into the whole discussion oh. about seeds because you, well, no, I'm glad you're, yeah. you're we can jump around. You're, yeah. This is great. Uh, this whole notion, though, of, I mean, and I, I feel on so many topics that I feel like I've been kind of Pollyanna. Like, I, I mean, I really do. <laughs> on, on many topics, I feel like I more or less trust that America is made up of people who pretty much want to do the right thing and they want to, and the companies want to. And, you know, but you really start to realize you get a sense of all of your life being orchestrated, manipulated by sources out of your control, by powers out of your control, including even the production of seeds. And, and yeah. the seeds, just you, know, you buy it in the grocery store, and I used to plant a vegetable garden and had pumpkins, you know. But this idea, it's a, it's a massive corporate operation to develop seeds and to, um, and, and to modify them. I mean, you want to talk about that just a minute. Sure, yeah. So they need to modify it because of all the inputs that we're putting into, the unnatural inputs that we're actually putting into the soil. And, and so because it, it's a chemical process, that's why a lot of the pharmaceutical companies got into this game. And so now what they're doing with the seeds is they're, because all these vertical farms, they're now creating specific seeds to go into vertical farms. And they're trying to get farmers off the actual land itself. Yes, they are. So describe vertical farms. So vertical farms. So they're saying um, the government is trying to consolidate not only our food, 
but us as a people. You've probably heard of 15-minute cities, but they want, to cons they want to consolidate us, and they want to return the land and rewild it, right? And so that would have to get rid of all of our farms. Well, we need to eat. So what they did is they're going to spend all the, these millions and billions of dollars in creating these massive buildings and vertical farm all of our vegetables and then also create lab-grown meat. Okay, so I mean literally like a high-rise. And so floor mm -hmm. one is wheat, floor two is corn. Yep. I mean, literally, they're, they're, you want growing massive amount of food, massive amounts of food in physical buildings and vertical farming is not something a pie in the sky in the future is actually happening or it's underway? What's it's happening. So the one of the largest is actually uh, here in Texas, one of the largest uh, vertical farms. Okay, and the goal of vertical farms, again, you get back to people trying to defend this. They say, well, you know, this is far more efficient. We don't have to take up so much land. We can go, look how much we can grow in this, you know, one, uh, how square footage it takes up on the ground. Mm -hmm. It's not a massive farm. And so if they, this, if they are producing, if they're prolific in what they produce, you are going to reduce the need for farmers. I mean, you're going to drive them out of business. You're going to drive them out of business. And this is the intention in your view. This is the intention. This is the intention for the federal government to, to then come in and, and come in and uh, take like what Margaret Byfield from American Stewards talks about, the 30 by 30, to come in and uh, take over 30% of all land in the United States by 2030. And then the by federal government. The federal government. And then to come in by 2050 and have control over 50% of the, not just the United States, but that's worldwide. That's a worldwide goal. So Agenda 2030, whenever you hear 2030, that's just a milestone to get to 2050. And, you know, I have to tell you again on this subject of being a, um, unaware of this, you, you just, I mean, m Americans, I think, mostly, I mean, we're more awake now than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You mostly want to think government's there to, uh, you know, protect the quality of the food supply, you know, try to make sure people don't have dangerous food, they don't, they don't have food that makes them ill, try to make sure we have sufficient distribution systems so food mm -hmm. makes it, I mean, you, you have this, this kind of, um, I use the word Pollyanna, I don't know what other word to say, you know, this kind of innocent uh, and the presumption of a good agenda, good motive, um, that for things the government does, what you're describing, it is, it ultimately reduces the individual down, the individual person, mm -hmm down to just a unit that gets parked in this 15-minute city, gets fed by this uh, high-rise over here, this vertical farming thing over here, doesn't have to farm the land, doesn't have to learn how to milk a cow, doesn't have to learn any of those things because the, co the government's taking care of you. And they, you know, Limbo used to use the expression mind-numbed robots, but whatever term, you have people who are being cared for, fed, medicated um, by the government and you just kind of, you're just, well, you're, number one, you're an easy cog to control in their Correct. system, but you also, you have a purposeless life. Purposeless. Purposeless life. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. And so, um, I don't like me saying ma'am, I already told you that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but on a very serious note, so this agenda kind of thing, I mean, I know when very early on when people talked about Agenda 21 and the UN has these radical agendas, for a really long time, I just thought, okay, but that's them. The UN, okay, they can think what they want. They're allowed to exist. They can have agendas, you know, what they want everyone to do is fine. But 
you had the notion in America that most people knew we actually wanted our sovereign, unique, extraordinary nation. We want our, our country, yeah. you know, founded on Judeo-Christian principles, committed to what the Bible says about our right to live in freedom, committed about the idea of man has God-given identity and, and purpose and all that. So you thought that was what, who we were, so I really didn't worry that much what the UN was doing. But America, you're describing, is really embedded now and, yeah. and invested in all of this international globalist agenda to the point that we're building vertical farms to deprive people of the need for farms. Yes, ma'am. And unfortunately, like when they, in 2015, when they did that war game effort, right, the, the food reaction game, by that time period already, it are, our farms, our family farms, that video that you showed, unfortunately, our system and our government already set the stage for them to just come over and take everything over. Like it showed, uh, I think on, on that video, uh, a percentage of uh, how many of them are actually family farms. But if you get into the nitty gritty of what you de determine as a family farm, Tyson is a family farm. Oh, it's massive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, um, a majority of farmers are actually serfs. They, yeah. they're, they're not independent. They, they, uh, a fifth of all their income is from government subsidies or from, or what we say, crop insurance. And, and it has been that way since 1933, the first uh, farm bill. So step by step, uh, all the way from the beginning of the 19th century, all the way, our 20th century, all the way up here until now, today, we've kind of set the stage for now, all these international bodies to completely take over our, our complete food system. And you, know, you talk about, as we were saying earlier, so this would be taking over food and, and production of food and then destroying farming industry. And your, your chart, which I'm glad is still up, you know, control of your medicine, control of traditional medicines, five companies, five organizations, 10 companies uh, controlling all your food. There's food, there's also the uh, deference we've given to the World Health Organization uh, regarding determining when is a pandemic. And the, I'm sure you saw the language mm -hmm. that was used that allowed them to say they're going to determine pandemics, but they also talked about plant or danger to plants and animals, which gets you to, so any danger to the three, you know, left-handed frog in Wyoming or something could give credit, give power to the World Health Organization and say, you know what, uh, we have a climate crisis here, we have an animal crisis here, so you must move here, you must be in your 15-minute city, you can't have your farm. I mean, there, there's all of that, and, then, and you know, the Uval Harari input into the World Economic Forum. You just see all of a sudden, more clearly, th through this and, and all these topics, you see this kind of mastermind world being orchestrated where, where mankind is going to be. In fact, Yuval Harari used the term, humans are just going to be injectable units. Yeah. We're just injectable units. So one, before we get to how we're going to solve this, uh, you did have information in here um, about the destru oh, destruction, this major, major destruction of food processing, fertilizer plants. Since uh, playing, you have these happening in Arizona, Arkansas, California, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Oregon, Texas, Washington, and Wisconsin. Bizarre accidents destroying food, major food processors. Um, you have it, those visions of pictures of cattle all dying and, and chickens. Who's doing that? So it's coordinated. It's uh, agriterrorism, right? Just like uh, the train derailments. They're still going on today. They just don't make the news. So all the train derailments right now, uh, everything is all agri-terrorism. Agri-terrorism. Yeah, it's... Conducted by? 
unfortunately, so I even received intel on this when I was with the, the DHS, and, and a lot of these uh, malign actors, whether they are um, like uh, uh, um, far left organizations uh, trying to make go after big industrial agriculture, um, uh, could be one of them, but a lot of them go un. Um, uh, they're really just unsolved, um, or purpo maybe purposely unsolved. I, I don't know, um, but we do know what's happening. So when you when you consolidate and concentrate all of our food production in, in in such a small little entity, and then that gets destroyed, unfortunately, we have no way to be self reliant and feed our feed ourselves. So as it stands right now, uh, more a majority of the commodities that we that we grow. Um, over 90% of what we grow, say like here in Texas, um, are, to are the top six commodities, like cotton, soybeans, corn. But corn is not even util utilized mostly as food. It's mostly used for feed or ethanol. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, we actually import all of our produce that we eat. So if everything were to shut down right now, most supermarkets probably have 72 hours of food. And that is it. So unless you have your own family farm, Texas and then us as a nation would be done because we import everything that we eat. So what I think it's between... we, we grow lettuce in Texas. We grow yep. and people grow apples in upstate New York. I mean, yep. So right now, if you look at the uh, it's, I, I believe, four to seven percent of all of our produce um, of what we eat is grown in the United States. Everything, four to seven percent. Four to seven percent. Percent is made, is grown here. And yep, everything else that we eat is imported. So just like let's say meat, shrimp. What would you What would you think if you go to H E B right now? What do you think the the percentage is American shrimp or foreign? No, Americans ten percent. So that's how much we're importing. In fact, this year was the first year that our imports now are higher than our exports. So now we're at a deficit. And so we as a nation and us as a state are so reliant, especially like Mexico, our largest trade partner here in Texas, we are so reliant on our produce from foreign countries that we don't have the ability to, to do it right now. And, and that's also based off of all the subsidies, all the crop insurance. Look, it's follow the money. Where is all the money going to uh, what six commodities are going to them? Hardly any of it is going to actual produce where we actually eat. Okay, um, you're pretty depressing. No, not really. <laughs> you're right. Actually, I'm, I'm glad to know all this because I do think I, I do think the American spirit and, and and so many avenues of attack on American society, whether it's on freedom of religion, freedom of speech, culture, family, children, there are activists just going, just awakened in, in more than they've been in my entire life. I mean, and 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 organizing and speaking up and fighting yeah. back. And so this is more complex. Uh, and I think people often, many people I'm going to guess, don't understand all the facts, no. you know, and they don't, as long as they can go to the grocery store and they can yeah. still buy their shrimp and they still can buy corn on the cob, they don't really care. I mean, or they don't have a reason to be alarmed. You're only gonna be alarmed when there's an actual food shortage. I wanna hit, uh, you have this uh, recommendations that one group that made a bunch of recommendations how to resolve this. Um, I mean, certainly to resolve it, you have to raise awareness because I, because if people don't understand all this control of these companies, yeah. and if they don't see a shortage in the things in their lives, they they, they don't really care. So awareness is huge. 
awareness uh, needed. And then, um, and actually, really quickly, is there some place people can read all this information you've gathered? Like, do you have it on a... You know, I probably should make one, a site. Uh, the, the stuff that I gave you, I have to consolidate everything, of course. And that's probably, uh, probably why I was called a liberal progressive activist uh, after that meeting that I uh, spoke when at. I was at with you? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm not going to w- name what politician called me that. But um, the reason why a majority of the stuff that I actually got on here from here is actually from left of center organizations. Because unfortunately, as it stands right now, it, when you talk about organic, when you talk about regenerative agriculture, a lot of times people think, oh, Democrat. They automatically label it as a, a Birkenstock-wearing Democrat from Colorado, yeah. right? A granola, a greeny weenie. And, and so, um, unfortunately, they're the only organizations that have actually studied a majority of this stuff. So Corey's Digs that I gave you, yeah, that's where she gets a lot of her data from because those organizations are actually the ones that are trying to for Now, unfortunately is the UN and everyone else has seen this and seen how, going back to how God designed us to farm. They saw that they can utilize that and to manipulate it for their own purpose, which is climate. So of course they're going to take God's design, just like Satan would, right? They're going to take the truth, shift it, and make it a half-truth and use it for their design. And so that's what they're doing. They're taking their organic... Uh, um, uh, movement, the regenerative agriculture movement, and they're using it for their nefarious designs. Is, in your view, is this a depopulation agenda at work? Yes, ma'am. It even says it in the 1974 thing by Henry Kissinger. It says right there, depopulation. Yeah, it does, actually. That, the quote is in, was in there. And it was declassified. So it's an actual classified, it was a classified document. So, and, and we haven't even gotten to Bill Gates, who's uh, heavy in fingers in all sorts of aspects of this. Uh, he's been buying up farmland in this country, as everyone's aware. I think he might be the single largest farm owner, individual mm-hmm. farm owner in this country, farm landowner in this country. And he's not doing it because he really looks forward to farming, you know, wheat or corn or anything. He's doing it to enable those to be taken off the market of food production. Food which, production, but also carbon sequestration. Yeah. He's going to be a carbon cowboy. Yeah. So you're going to go from cattlemen to carbon cowboys. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. So the people who do understand that we don't have to be worried about carbon, uh, which is, you know, we talked before the show, the great expert uh, from your organization, TPPF, Jason Isaac, and many others. I've had great experts on my show talking about this is climate alarmism is crazy. We don't mm-hmm. have to worry about CO2. It's actually very healthy. The actual very earth healthy. needs it for crying out loud. We need it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but those, but this idea. I'm sorry. Back to Bill Gates. He's, you know, he and others orchestrating this. I want to hit this point before we um, hit solutions, which is everything we're describing sounds so nefarious and so sinister that many people just think they hear it all and they yeah. can see what you're describing. And I think, but this couldn't be real. This couldn't be so many people engaged in this absolute totalitarian structure or structure of totalitarian control over the world on and medicine and food. It just couldn't be real. That's, that's too, it's far out there. But one thought I have, that, but I don't think it is. I'm just saying that's a criticism. Yeah. But one thing I think is when people think um, of leftists and, and you know, they're, they're just nefarious, we want to control everything, tyrannical control, there, are, there is a segment of those involved in this who do think that way. I mean, there, there mm-hmm. are the, but the vast majority of people 
probably go along because they think they're helping. They've bought into the climate alarmism. Yeah. So they're 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 not evil in the way the the you know the, I think Bill Gates is evil. You don't have to agree, but I think so. I think so. Yeah. But I mean, you have you know people who are. Uh, intending to control and they don't mind telling you but you have millions of you know Lenin's term useful idiots going along because they think they're helping so they're going to change their minds with education I mean, and how do you get to these how do you stop this you know train wreck that you're describing sure step one know who God is yeah right step two therefore you would know who you are you would know where your rights come from they're inalienable rights not they're given by God and protected by the Constitution. They weren't given by the government itself. And then understanding that uh, this, what's happening here on earth today happened in heaven, if you remember, um, when Satan was uh, cast out. He was cast out because he, instead of freedom and uh, the ability to choose our agency, he wanted captivity. And he wanted to force people to act good. And so today we have that same system. It's all about power. Whether you talk about the Mexican cartels, uh, just like what Jeff Stom talked about, uh, whether you talk about uh, uh, with food, it's all about control and forcing someone to act all in the name of good. So first, know who God is. And, and the reason why I say that, and that's why Joel Salatin says that, because you also need to know what an animal is. You need to know the importance of an animal, and and he calls it the pigness of the pigs. Okay. Pig, okay. You need to know the pigness of the pigs. You need to know the holiness of the cows, the chickenness of the chickens. You need to know God's design for them, God's design for the soil, for all the ecosystem itself, and then repl replicate that. And then so there are plentiful sources like Joel Salatin, and I can provide those for you guys, um, and. Uh, and so that would be number one, is understanding who we are, who God is, and then who, uh, how he wants us to cultivate this land that was given to us as a gift. And then from there, once we understand how actual food is grown, then we can actually go from that step, and then we can see, okay, who is trying to control our food? And also, how are they trying to control it? And what are they doing to modify God's design? And then you'll see the GMO, GMO 2.0, you'll see the pharma food, all that jazz, because they're really trying to replace God. When you go and you tr create vertical uh, farming, you're replacing the sun with uh, artificial lights, artificial everything, just like they're trying to replace the SON, the Son of God. And so you, if, you, if you parallel that and see really what our purpose of life is here on this earth, and then look at it from that kind of a standpoint, an eternal perspective, then you'd be able to go on and go forward. So really, it's just an education of who we are, what food really is, what it should be, how it should be grown, and then we can move on from there. I love all those answers. I will say also, as to the founding of America, the notion of the founding of America on the idea, I say all the time in the show, the founders were not concocting an, a new system after weighing, and, you know, weighing three or four more. They were they discerned a, an ultimate spiritual truth, always been true, which is 
you know, man, we're all created equal, and then we have rights from God. I always add, because you were born, that's just your very existence of it, and you, and and um, and all of your rights and freedoms are inherently yours. And it was the most noble and unique thing ever to to create a nation. Uh, on that subject of um, knowing God, too, I'll tell you, it's been really interesting. When you to follow what the, what these people are doing, what the globalists are doing, if you end up being a Yuval Harari injectable, injectable unit, and you're given sufficient food, and you're given a housing so you're not, you know, hot or cold, and you're you're given, you know, you're, you're permitted to have love in your life or have family or something, you know, you just you, you've been given what you need, and so you know they're saying that's enough. You, you you've got all these basic needs. You you have housing, you have uh, food on the table, and but what you don't have is any sense of God-given purpose. You don't, you don't have purpose, which is right. another God-given thing. I mean, it's a God-given purpose and, and place in the world. And so when you're one of these leftist, um, you know, uh, totalitarians, you actually don't think people have that. You, you don't think they have God-given purpose. You're just there, and it's why it's also okay with them to have a depopulation agenda, because these people aren't, they're just kind of extraneous. There, there are too many of them, and so we're just gonna starve them out or crowd them out or kill them somehow. And that just, it, the entire notion of leftism is so utterly, um, utterly godless. And um, it's, it's part of what we're deprived of when we're just shoved into a corner. You know, I can see I, I'm, my endless struggle every week is that I'm supposed to give them an opportunity to ask questions. However, uh, it's three minutes of. Uh, while you're thinking about your question, you can raise your hand and can make a really short question. Uh, this young man over here has a microphone. I was going to throw in one more thing. Do you know the name Ayan Hirsi Ali? Do you know who that is? No, ma'am. Okay, quick story. She is. It was a former Muslim. She was brutalized by the Muslims. She came to America. She's a wonderful writer about the danger of Islam, the danger of jihad, and how America has to understand. You know, we're we're under threat. We have all these Islamic jihadists coming here. We got to stand up. She denounces Islam and Muhammad. And but she said she was said for years. But I'm an atheist. I'm just so mad about what, what I learned in Islam that I'm an atheist. And she came out this week and said, you know, you just can't get to any meaning in life as an atheist, so she, she now she's converted to Christianity, which I thought was really cool, because she grew up her whole life being, you know, told Jews are in the in Islamic view are the worst, but, you know, are, are really bad, but, you know, um, they're the worst, but they don't like the Christians either, and she finally came around, you can't make a sense of life without God. It was a really great thing she wrote. But anyway, you might enjoy that. Okay, so real, there, we have a couple questions over there, and um, you know my rule, talk fast and into the microphone. Oh. We've all been proud of Texas A&M, although all my sons went to UT. However, what are these agricultural colleges teaching, like A&M? Yeah, so um, if you look at uh, the studies that they're doing right now, uh, uh, one of them was, on, I'll just, I'll name one. One study was on uh, the beef, the beef industry, the cattle industry. And they were against the idea of mandatory country of origin labeling, meaning that all of our beef, if it was uh, born, raised, and processed here, it should be labeled USA beef. If it was born in anything else out of the United States, it should be processed or it should be labeled as such. However, Texas A&M uh, said that that was a detrimental uh, to our agriculture system. So unfortunately, um, every institution like Texas A&M, you're talking 4-H, I run a 4-H, I run a 4-H in McAllen, um, they all teach that, that global um, ag system. Um, how many food plants have been burned, mysteriously had things now, and is there anything being done to protect what's left? When Tucker was fired, we're up to 26 or 29 or something? 
Yes, ma'am. That that is probably unknown because, um, so say like uh, the train derailments. I was getting the Amtrak daily uh, intel, and so I was looking up all the train derailments. And the only people really that know this are either going to be the local news, or the actual intelligence community uh, combining it together and understanding that. So really, it would probably take a Freedom of Information Act or or contacting Amtrak or contacting these organizations to try to figure out how many. Unfortunately, I don't know. It's 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 a lot more than what Tucker said. Okay, one last quickie. Okay, mm. real quick. Um, thank you for coming and speaking. <laughs> What's going to happen? A lot of us like organic foods. Yeah. What's going to happen to those farms? Because some of us eat grass-fed beef, yeah. um, free-range chicken, and wild-caught uh, fish. Is all that going to go away? So first, I want you when you buy something organic, when you buy something, if it says pasture-raised on the eggs. You, what you need to do is you need to look at the company. They always have a family out in the pasture. Oh, with their family. It's like, oh, this is pasture raised. No, you, what you need to do is you need to look it up. Go online, look up where that company is. And more, uh, more times than not, it's probably going to be Tyson. Uh, or it's going to be one of the large companies. And so uh, what they're doing is all these large global ad companies are, we call it greenwashing. They're using the labeling of... The regenerative ag movement because it's big, the organic movement, and they're greenwashing their products so that they can put it out there as yes, we're it is re, cage-free eggs, regenerative ag eggs. So it's unfortunately it's it's incumbent upon you as a citizen to have to go there on the label itself, find out where that farm is, who that farm is associated with, and everything else, or just go to your local farm and go buy it. I like that last choice much easier. Okay, folks, we are past time. Um, you know, I want to just, first of all, thank you. You're a fountain of knowledge. And when I was introducing you, I should have said, this speech you gave, I mean, it went on. There were so many slides, and people were madly taking notes. And honestly, it was, you have so much information. And I know you said you don't yet have it organized at a website, but maybe you will sometime. Maybe. I will put up on our website, americacanwetalk.org, a link to a couple of things he sent me because um, when I sat down to read his email this morning and realized how much he sent me, um, that probably contributed to my failure to email my link sometimes. But anyway, there was- I'll take the blame, I'll take the blame. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, okay. But really, they're great things to read. They're very comprehensible. One included a list of recommendations. It was very, very good. We didn't even get to that today. But I, I, at the end of the day, you know, the, the incumbent on patriots to understand things and to and not just go, not just kind of cover your ears and cover your eyes and I don't want to think about it because it, only the patriots who are wide awake and speaking up are going to save this country. And in this particular case, the pressure on Congress, because regardless of what the UN says or all those other groups, the pressure on Congress to say, you represent us and we want you to restore American farming, yep. America food, American food, whatever, whatever the other demands that need to be made, that we don't have to go along whatever the agenda is of these yeah. people. We don't have to go along, whether it's on COVID and whether it's on uh, climate foolishness or whether it's on food, we do have the power in America to elect people and demand that they do the right thing. So, uh, Emin Blair, I want to thank you for coming in. Soon people will find you online at the Texas Public Policy Foundation, correct? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Which is texaspolicy.com? Yes, ma'am. Texaspolicy.com. Okay. I told him before to stop saying ma'am. <laughs> I did. So texaspolicy.com. Put in his name. I'm sure he'll have mountains of great information uh, to read on all the topics he does. And honestly, you were just, we barely had time to get to skim the surface. So, Emma Blair, thank you so very much for coming in today. Well, thank you, ma'am. Thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
Okay, and so my happy friends, I will tell you that I was realizing in the car on the way in today, uh, next week is Thanksgiving week, and so I'm not doing a Tuesday show because our adult kids will be home. We'll get to see them and not Thanksgiving. So our next show, live show, will be uh, Tuesday, November 28th. And the next Thursday show, uh, set up like today with in-studio audience, um, we have Dr. Miriam Grossman, who might be the bravest psychiatrist in America, because she wrote a book called Transnation, and she's utterly debunking the entire transgender agenda, period, full stop, no science to it. She's very good, very brave, uh, so she'll be here in two weeks from today. And so I'll close out the show by saying that I hope you all have a wonderful, blessed, delicious, happy thanking God Thanksgiving, and I will be back on November 28th, and thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters, and I will talk to you next time. Thank you. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you